this passage together in uh, Luke 6. Father, we want to pray this morning that, um, yeah, as Jeff's already prayed, Lord, that as we sit here uh, under the instruction from your word, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, you, your word, uh, you have said, will not return to you void. In other words, it will accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish. We pray that uh, that that today will be the ongoing sanctification of your people, making us more and more shaped in the image of Jesus. We pray this for his name and for his glory. Amen. Questions? We ask questions, don't we, in order to discover more information, to learn about things. I mean, questions is just part of life, how we discover truth and how we discover the things which uh, you know, will help us uh, through all of life. But you know, questions are very, very good at getting to the heart of things, <clears throat> helping us to, uh, to discover and learn. I quite like watching people, particularly in interview situations. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with a guy called Michael Parkinson. He's getting pretty old now. Some of you might be familiar with him. He was a very, very very uh, good uh, interviewer, a fellow who's sort of I uh, probably consider today to sort of be sort of starting to step into that kind of um, sort of uh, uh, area too. Is a guy called Andrew Denton. He's actually got a show on TV at the moment called Interview. I just really enjoy watching these people, uh, um, you know, interview um, you know their special guests because they, both of these guys, they actually have the ability. In fact, it's it's quite a, an, an incredible ability to to be able to actually get their guests to actually really kind of open up, you know, to sort of let down their guard and to sort of get you sort of really get to sort of start to know those people for who they really really are. They sort of get uh, you know um, have got a way of disarming them in in, in a way, you know. It's, Sort of in those interview situations, sometimes people can sort of be really sort of a defensive and keep their guards up and be very, very protected. But Michael Parkinson and Andrew Denton, they've got a way of sort of disarming people and, and sort of really sort of getting them to open up about things which they perhaps wouldn't ordinarily do with, uh, with other interviewers. Jesus was a master at asking questions. He just seemed to be able to get right to the heart of a matter and actually reveal the true character of a person just through asking a very simple question. And here in this passage in Luke 6 this morning, we actually encounter one of those questions. So I ask you to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles there, to Luke chapter 6, right at the end of the chapter, and we're going to read the last few verses in this chapter, verses 46 through to 49. <clears throat> Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the, and the ruin of this house was... Jesus says, <clears throat> Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? You might remember the context of this particular passage. It comes as part of a sermon, if you like, that Jesus was preaching to quite a large crowd of people. If you go back to the beginning of Luke 6, you'll see that, that uh, people had uh, gathered around Jesus. He had his disciples there, those, those inner 12, those close 12 people who he invested you know, so much of his life uh, into. He had those disciples there. Then there was a, another sort of ring of group, group around them who, of people who claimed to be Jesus' disciples, you know, sort of decided that they were going to you know, kind of attach themselves to Jesus, if you like, and sort of hear what he had to say and that sort of thing. And then there was a large multitude of people, a larger crowd, a great crowd of, uh, of other people. And all these people are hearing this particular message that Jesus is giving, this instruction, this teaching that he's giving here in this particular place. And in verse 20 of Luke 6, you see that it says that Jesus actually lifted up his eyes to his disciples. So Jesus' focus with this particular teaching is really on those who would say that they are followers of Jesus, that they have decided to, to make some kind of commitment to him. And it is to these people that Jesus addresses the question, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say, what I teach? Of course, the implication of that question, if you like, then, is this, that there were those people among this group of people who called themselves disciples of Jesus, who considered themselves to be true followers, but actually weren't living in a way that should mark them out as such. Interesting that term Lord that Jesus uses here. It's a word that actually refers firstly to that someone would use it as a term of, of, of respect, if you like. As why well, we would call, use the, the word sir or something like that. But this particular word, there's so much more to it than just a level of respect that is shown to a person, particularly to a teacher, particularly in, in Jesus' culture in, first, in the first century Palestine. The term Lord actually refers to a person who we choose to submit to. It means master or boss. In fact, it means king. And so in referring to someone as Lord, it meant that you recognised their authority over you and over your life, 
and that you were required to obey them, to follow that which they told you to do. In fact, the double use of the term Lord here, where Jesus says Lord, Lord, was a way of emphasising their commitment to Jesus. If we were typing this in, you know, on our computers and that sort of thing, we would actually you know, bold and underline these particular words to emphasise them, to make them lift up off the page. If you were sending a text message, you'd probably put it all in capitals. Jesus is saying that these people are making a really emphatic claim that Jesus is indeed their Lord, their master, their king. But it wasn't, it's not just a one-off kind of statement. In fact, the, the language that is written in here and the, the, uh, the uh, kind of um, grammar that is used, Jesus is saying, it, is, it should be better read, why do you keep on calling me Lord, Lord? So there is this ongoing aspect to it. So it's not just a, a one-off declaration but it is an ongoing declaration in these people's language in in what they're saying they consistently saying in their lives or calling jesus lord master but jesus in asking this question saying to them, although you may emphatically claim to be my true disciples, your actions and therefore your lives, something amiss there. It doesn't really add up. There's a disconnect. And therefore there is a question mark over the authenticity of your claim. We see similar words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus says, you know, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, there is again that double use of the term, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, on that day, speaking of the day where we all have to stand before God in his his judgment upon all people, he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, claiming again that they belong to Jesus. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? In other words, these people are claiming that you know, they were seeking to, to do things under the name of Jesus, thinking that they were Jesus' followers, his true followers. might be like us today saying, you know, Lord, didn't I go to church every Sunday? Lord, didn't I read my Bible regularly? Didn't I attend prayer meetings and and help out with youth group or other ministries in the church? Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me. I never knew you. Even though you did all these things in my name, claiming to be a true follower of me, Jesus says, I never knew you. In John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for, for, his, for the sheep. Remember that, remember that teaching from Jesus? Also in that teaching, Jesus says about being the good shepherd, he says, I know my sheep. I know those who belong to me. And my sheep know my voice and they hear it. Don Carson are reading this quote only this morning, actually, before the service. He says, You know, we are lost when human opinion means more to us than God's. We can claim to be followers of Jesus. We can claim to be his disciples. We can do all these what we term as religious things. And yet Jesus can say, I never knew you. The question that confronts each of us today as we come to these words of Jesus is this. Are we like these people? Am I the person that Jesus is talking to today? Am I the person that Jesus is asking this question of me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say? Are we in fact the real deal when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus goes on then to point out, if you like, what an authentic disciple is or who an authentic disciple is. Look at verse 47 of your, of your uh, passage this morning. Does everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. And then he goes on to give this illustration about that particular person and about what they can expect of their lives, lives that are actually built either on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word or something else. If you want to be a true disciple of Jesus, then it begins by first coming to him. You see that? Everyone who comes to me. A, a true disciple is someone who first comes to Jesus. And coming to Jesus involves, firstly, a recognition, a right recognition of who we are. And that recognition comes from God's estimation of who we are, revealed to us through his word. And the Bible tells us that apart from God, each and every one of us are sinners. Sinners. 
We are, we are sinners in need of being reconciled to a holy God. Sinners in need of cleansing and forgiveness. Sinners in need of grace. Jesus in this way is like the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. You might be familiar with the, with the parable that Jesus gave. There was a, a righteous, what person considered to be a righteous person in those days, a religious person, a Pharisee, a very incredibly devout religious person who came to the temple. And there was this tax collector who everyone looked down upon. They were the scum of the earth kind of people. And these two people come before God at the temple and the, the, the righteous Pharisee says, you know, I thank God that I'm not like such and such and I'm not like this tax collector. In other words, he looks at himself and he thinks, you know what, I've, pretty, I've got this religious stuff nailed down. Jesus says only one person that day walked away in a proper and right relationship with God and it wasn't the religious person. Next week, Isaac's going to be preaching from Luke 7 and the, uh, where a woman actually comes. She's referred to in the Bible as a sinful woman. Comes to Jesus who's reclining at the table of a Pharisee. They're having dinner. And she comes and she falls down at Jesus' feet and she weeps so much out of the brokenness that she realises you know, the sin that she has in her life. She comes and she, she, she falls at Jesus' feet and she weeps so much that her tears actually washes Jesus' feet clean. That's the kind of brokenness that we need to come before God with, recognising that we are indeed a sinner in need of his grace and his forgiveness and in need of being made right with him. But coming to Jesus also involves a proper recognition of who he is, of who Jesus is, that he is indeed God in the flesh that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the one true saviour of all mankind. As John puts it in John 14, 6, that he is indeed the way, the truth and the life. Pastor Sandy Wilson referring to uh, Eugene Peterson in his book The Jesus Way quotes him by saying this, Eugene Peterson says, People are willing, are often willing to accept Jesus as the truth. They're often willing to accept, you know, that the teachings of Jesus, there is some kind of, of, of truth to them and there are some kind of, of things in, in, in Jesus' word that need to be, you know, followed and, and adhered to. People are often willing to accept Jesus as the truth, but very rarely are they willing to accept him as the way? We can accept who Jesus is, that he is indeed true, 
that what he says is true, but then we can go about living in a way that is quite different from what he says. Directed largely by the way of the world and of secular culture, Western culture. Live directed largely by this way rather than the way of Jesus. Jesus speaks in in Matthew's Gospel again of a broad way and a narrow way. Remember? Many are they that are on the broad way because it's an easy way. It makes no demands. Only the person who follows the narrow way finds life in Jesus' name. Eugene Peterson in this book goes on to say that of all the historical figures that have ever been, Jesus Christ is the most admired, the most worshipped, the most written about, but the least truly followed. The true disciple first comes to Jesus. A true disciple also hears Jesus' words. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, Jesus says. You know, to hear someone, there's two ways you can hear someone. You can actually hear, you can actually recognise that there is some kind of, of vocal aspect to, to, you know, to what's going on. People actually, you know, there's words being spoken, there's sound being made. So there's that hearing. But there is also the hearing that actually means to really listen. Mums, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When we say to our kids over and over and over and over again to do something or you know, to do this or to do that, and the kids hear the words, they hear the noise, but do they listen? Wives, you know your husbands. (laughs) You say the words. They hear the noise. I'm guilty of this too. You can ask my wife later. And the response that they get, it's not quite adds up or measures up to what they were saying. Hearing, genuine hearing, requires us to really listen. And listening, folks, today is a dying art. True listening today is a dying art. We are a culture that is constantly distracted. People's attention spans are becoming shorter and shorter. We find it difficult to keep focused. And as a result, we find it hard to really listen and therefore to properly hear. 
One of the biggest contributors to relationship breakdowns today is poor communication. And poor communication, oh, sorry, and good communication, I should say, relies on good listening, on actually hearing. Another reason we don't listen well today is because of familiarity. We've just talked about that with, with you know, mums and, and kids and, and, and wives and husbands. We get used to hearing the same thing. You know, I um, was on an aeroplane not long ago and the flight attendants, at the, at the, when you first, just be, as you're sort of taxiing out to take off, they go through this particular, um, this particular uh, procedure where they have to actually show you all the emergency stuff on the plane and stuff that you need to be aware of, you know, before you actually sort of, you know, take the flight. Stuff about how oxygen masks and safety vests and having your seatbelt on right and all that sort of stuff. You can tell the people on that plane who have flown quite a lot. They've heard this over and over and over again, and so what are they doing? They're looking at their phones or they're reading a magazine. Or their, their attention is anywhere but on the person giving that particular demonstration. Familiarity causes us to not hear well, to not listen well. A third reason we don't hear or listen well is because we may not like what the person is actually saying to us. And so we kind of just put up this kind of dome, if you like, you know, the, the dome of the cone of silence comes down. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4 says this For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, gather around themselves, teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander after myths. People don't like to hear stuff today and the stuff that they don't like to hear, they will shut their ears to. And instead they will gather around themselves the things that they do like to listen to and the people who will tickle their itching ears. Folks, proper and effective hearing requires discipline or work. We need to come prepared to listen. When we come, you know, here on when we gather here on a Sunday to hear the word of God pre preached to us, we need to come prepared to listen. Our hearts firstly need to be in a place where we're ready to listen, hear and submit to the word of God in our lives. We need to really hear what God is saying to us. We need to put aside the distractions. We need to pay attention. We also need to reflect on what we hear. Good hearing requires reflection. Asking ourselves, what is it that I am actually hearing? What is it actually saying to me? What is this saying to me? And what are indeed the implications for me and for my life? Listening. Reflecting and then hearing should lead then to a decision 
and a desire and a determination to do what we've just heard, to put into practice what we have just listened to and to make any necessary changes or course adjustments, if you like, to our lives. You know the Nike ad, just do it? That's what Jesus is saying here, just do it. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Put it into practice. That's the third characteristic of a disciple is that they put God's word to practice in their lives. They do it. They come, they hear, they do. That is who a true disciple of Jesus is. That's what characterises a true disciple. You notice where this question of Jesus actually falls in the context of his sermon? Does he actually start, start his message with this? No, it comes right at the end. Right at the end of the passage. Remember, Jesus has just put forth this series of teaching and instruction to his disciples, pointing out the kinds of thinking, the kind of behaviours which are characteristic of people who belong to the kingdom of God. And it is a radical new ethic that Jesus is introducing in this teaching. It turns our whole value system upside down. Because, you know, we consider ourselves to be blessed, you know, if we have stuff, if we have the, the nice home, if we have the job, if we have the toys, if we have good health, if we have, you know, the, 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 the social status and, the, and the, the people around us who love us and, 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 and accept us. We consider ourselves blessed if we have these kinds of things. But who does Jesus say is actually blessed? Go back one page in your Bible and he says, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Those who would consider themselves blessed in the context of what we said just before in terms of the world's ideas of blessed, what does Jesus say? But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who laugh. And, and when all people speak well of you, he says, woe to you. Think of blessing in the world's understanding of blessing and you want to follow that way and Jesus says, I've got some bad news for you. It's not going to work out real good. Might in the short term, but in the long term, you might need to think again. 
Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down and back-to-front kingdom in respect to the world's thinking. How much do we agree with Jesus? How much do we nod our heads at blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who are persecuted? Yes, yes. Then seek blessing in a way which Jesus says is cursed. Jesus calls his disciples to love their enemies, to do good to them, to have their best at heart. And again, we might agree with Jesus and nod our heads and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But how do we treat our enemies? How do we actually treat those who actually want to oppose us and actually seek to cause us hardship and difficulty and harm? Do we really have their best interests at heart? Jesus says not to judge, not to size people up and write them off or to criticise them or to gossip about them or to think that we're better, better than them. And we nod our heads again and we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But how many times have we done just that? We have sized people up. And to be that person, associating with that thing that we despise about them or we see wrong in their lives. Jesus calls us to live holy lives, to be holy like your heavenly Father is holy. 1 Peter 1. Again, we may well agree with him. But how committed are we indeed to actually being holy people? What sacrifices are we making in our own lives in order to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy? Are we actually seeking to make those necessary changes with the Holy Spirit's help? Is there a genuine submission on our part? I'm sure that if we took a bit of a survey this morning, a written survey, and the question was, do you love Jesus? Tick the box yes or no. And we collected up all those little sheets. I would say that the overwhelming majority would be, people would say yes, right? Yes. Listen to Jesus' words in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, do you know what's coming next? You will obey my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For this is love of God, that we keep, that is we obey his commandments, his word. That is the standard by which we measure every single aspect of our life.
the person who comes to Jesus and hears his words, puts them into practice in their lives, Jesus says in this particular passage, he, makes a, he draws an illustration. He says he's like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. In other words, that person's life had secure foundations, had firm foundations. And when the storms of life came and the streams rose and the winds blew, their life, their house stood firm. Let me ask you, are you finding in the midst of the storms of your life that you are able to stand firm at the moment? When the rain pours down, when we're bombarded with the frustrations and difficulties of life, when things just don't seem to go our way, Or what about when the streams rise, when we start to become, we're in, you know, being be in danger of being overwhelmed by, by hardship and struggle, that we actually, in, in, in fact, think that we, we're even struggling to keep our heads above water. You know what I'm saying? When the wind blows and it feels as though we're going to get knocked off our feet, Illness strikes or we suffer with depression or with addictions, with financial hardship. We lose our jobs. We lose our home or possessions. We're rejected by those we love. Our marriage is struggling. Divorce or separation or we experience failure or rejection in our lives. What impact do these things have on you? Is it at those times that all of a sudden your house is just crumbling around you? If it is, then could it be that you may have actually built your house, your life on the wrong foundation? Perhaps it's time to reconsider what your life truly is built on. And perhaps it's time to get anchored back to the rock. That's Jesus. Of course, the ultimate storm that Jesus refers to here is death and God's final judgment. Will you stand in this, Jesus says? Will you find then that you built your house on the right foundation or will you discover that you didn't, and now it's too late. Do you call Jesus Lord? This morning, you came in through that door. You sat down in these pews. You sung the songs. You've prayed the prayers. You've read the word. You've heard the word preached. Do you call Jesus Lord? In your day-to-day lives, as you go out of these doors, into wherever you go to, into your neighbourhoods, into your homes, into the, wherever you work, into whatever context that you move about throughout the week, do you call Jesus Lord? Because if so, how authentic does Jesus see your discipleship as being? 
That's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. How authentic does Jesus think our discipleship? Not what Duncan, Pastor Duncan or Pastor Dale or Pastor Isaac think about my relationship. Not about what my wife thinks about my relationship or my kids or anyone else in this church or outside think about my relationship with Jesus. But what does Jesus think about your relationship with him? Are you the real deal? Only those who come to Jesus, who hear his words and then do them. Only those people can have and that their lives are indeed built on a solid Those words cut deep, Lord. Your words. They're not just words that just we have just read from any old kind of a book. They're not words that some guy who's just standing up in front of us preaching about. They're not his words. These are God's words. Your words, Lord. And you are asking each and every single one of us today in this place that very question. Are you in fact the real deal when it comes to your discipleship? And you ask it not because you just want to, you know, just have another person to, you know, to sort of claim to be yours but you do it because you, you love us you love us with a, a deep and incredibly sacrificial love a love that has been shown to us through your death and resurrection that you wanted to, to bring us into a relationship with you in order that you might bless us in that relationship and use us then as a blessing to others That's why you call us and that's your purpose for us. And so you want people who are in fact the real deal. Help us this morning to come to you. Whether it be for the first time or whether it be today, come to you recognising that, you know what, Lord, my life for a while, even perhaps for a long time, has not really been that kind of life. Yeah, I might have claimed you as Lord, but I've not been really living as like you really are the Lord of my life. Help us to come to you and to hear, to really hear your word today, to reflect on it and see how it really impacts on us, on our lives. And then help us by the power of your Holy Spirit within us to do it to just do what you say because we know that is indeed the way to true we ask you to do this in your name Amen we gather around the communion table this morning